0: So there's a trinity, you know, something you think about very often. I mean, how how would you describe the trinity? I mean, what is it? We just sing two songs about the trinity, holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed trinity. We glorify thy name, you know, we thought, Father, we love you, the Spirit, we love you, Jesus, we... We love you. But if you were to search all throughout Scripture, all 66 books, you will never find the word Trinity in the Scripture. So how can such an important teaching of the faith be about something that is not even enumerated in Scripture? Well, I think we'll find out that although it does not explicitly use the word trinity trinitarianism is all throughout throughout scripture but what does it mean to be god the father god the son and god the holy spirit well, that's what we're going to look at and explain to tonight. Um, a um theologian and pastor Uh, J.I. Packer, who recently passed away, uh, I think about a year or two ago, uh, said this about the church. He said, The evangelical world has virtually become a world of Unitarianism. Of Unitarianism. Now, what is Unitarianism? Well, Unitarian Christians believe that Jesus was inspired by God in his moral teachings... And he, and he is a Savior, but He is not a deity or God in the flesh. So that's a pretty bold claim that J.I. Packer makes, is that the evangelical world, which we could put ourselves, in, um, Southern Baptists for the most part, in, in, in that group, has virtually become a world of Unitarianism. What he's getting at is this, is that, Yes, evangelicals will, will, might say that they do believe in the Trinity, but that our faith in the Trinity doesn't really affect the way that we live our lives. We would say we believe in the Trinity, but it doesn't really affect how we live our lives. I mean, when was the last time that you really talked about the Trinity to somebody? You know, it doesn't really come up in normal conversations unless you get somebody that really just is trying to, you know, to throw you something that's going to kind of get you uh, get you off your uh, off your game a little bit. You know, in fact, I mean, most we, we might think about it when we we come into in, into to, to church or or into a service or into a study such as this. But when we speak of God, often we speak of God as the Father, the all-creation creator God, or we might think of Jesus as the Son, our Savior, or we might even say the 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 Spirit. You know, the I'm feeling led to do this, or the Spirit's guiding me. But do you think ever think about how they interconnect and really what they really are? Now most Christians really. Don't understand the Trinity, and usually we don't often talk about what we don't understand um, and uh because honestly it's confusing, and i'm gonna just be completely honest with you tonight you're not going to walk away from here tonight and feel like, man, I've got the Trinity mastered. <laughs> Because some of the greatest theologians in all the world that have studied the Trinity, there is a mystery about it, that, that that a connectivity that only that only a perfect Almighty God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, can understand how they completely work together. But that's why it's important for us as we study the last two weeks on Scripture, especially the clarity of Scripture, is that there is enough that we can understand. You know, and uh, I'm going to use the quote of Tim Keller, as I've said several times, but the, the, the Bible tells us everything that we need to know, but it doesn't necessarily tell us everything that we want to know or to the detail that we want to know. So we know everything about the Trinity that we need to know. But we may not have enough that we, we want to know. Now, the Trinity, although again it's not the word's not used in Scripture, it, and it can be confusing. It is one of the most important teachings of the faith. And I've talked about the different layers and, and levels of, of of doctrine or or teaching, and how it pertains to the church. In fact, uh, last week or week before last week, we talked about baptism, and uh, you know, and how that is within. Um, within the church, Baptist, we believe in, in dunking you down, and uh, it was one of the challenges I, I had in India when I was baptizing individuals. We in the in the their baptistry up on the on the roof is, uh, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to get together. I mean, I mean they see people baptized all the time, different, different traditions. But um, I had this one young man, and and he was fighting. I me mean, He was trying to lift up, and and he kept lifting his head up. I was like. It'll be a lot easier if you stick your head under because I'm going to have to push you because we believe in immersion. <laughs> right? you you got to get the head under the water. Whereas, you know, other faith traditions believe sprinkling's okay and um and while baptism is an important doctrine, I think um you know, based on our understanding of baptism, um we, we can still consider uh um you know, our, our Methodist brothers and sisters to be be Christians. We wouldn't deny that they're not followers of Christ because they believe in uh, have a different view of, of baptism than than we as 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 Baptists do. Um, you know. Then there's other doctrines like the, the end times. Some people might see post millennial, all millennial, pre millennial. We're not getting into any millennials tonight at all. But you know what? I have a feeling within our church we've got people that have different views of those, and we can still be members of the same church. But the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those first-order doctrines that basically determines your belief on on the Trinity, determines whether or not you are, are adhered to what we consider orthodox, just the historical Christianity, what the church has taught since the beginning of the church. And so if we want to mature in our faith, we need to study the Trinity, one, we need to Know and believe it for ourselves, but also, as we're going to look at at the end of today's time, um, when you hear things that just don't sound right, it helps you to determine who is within the, the, the realms of the, the spectrum of Christianity and who's outside of the bounds of, of order, Orthodox Christianity. But we want to make sure that our study doesn't just affect our intellect but also in how we, how we live. And um, used in, in our last study, uh, um, Wayne Grudem, a theo- systematic theologian, we're again going to use his definition for the Trinity. I think he's very succinct and um, clear in how he defines things. And so we see this is that God eternally exists at three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, one, two, and... Bingo, God, the Holy Spirit. All right, so we have three persons, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But each person is fully God, and there is one God. So that's key. Each person is fully God, and there's also just one God. So they're distinct persons from each other, but yet they are also the same it's hard for us to wrap our head around because nothing else in the world functions in that manner. (laughs) Nothing else is fully one thing, but yet completely distinct at the exact same time. We can also look to our own Baptist faith and message as it teaches. It says that there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. He's the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. His perfect knowledge extends to all things, the past, the present, and the future, including the future decisions of us, his free creatures. So to him, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. We're going to look tonight to John chapter 14 to help us to understand the Trinity. So we read these words in the first 11 verses of chapter 14. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my father's house are, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And if you know the way I am going, and, and we saying, and you know the way I where to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not know where you are going. I mean, how can we know?" The way, or how can we know? Yeah, I got that done, messed up there. (laughs) How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, There we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. Way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, well, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus had said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So here in these 11 verses, Jesus refers to himself, and I think one of the more important Bible verses in all of Scripture, John 14, chapter 6, or for verse 6 where he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What does that mean? That Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Well, it means that Jesus is everything. We could say that Jesus is God. He is God. Look at John 14, verse 7. He says this. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, you know, I mean, it, you know, we have the complete canon, as we talked about last week, the, the, the closed Bible. We've, it's been tested generation after generation for millennia. We've had the greatest theologians for, of, of each generation have studied these concepts and, and have explained them the best way they can. They've been debated, they've been, uh, you know, and, 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 and those heresies have been um, exposed and thrown out of, of the church. And, and it's confusing. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt when Jesus tried to explain to them how he, and God and the God are one and the same. I mean, look here at John chapter one verse eighteen. Jesus said this. He said, "No one has ever seen, or, um, yeah, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known." I'm sorry, Jesus didn't say this. I mean, uh, John did. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So, I mean, in the same gospel here. Right, nobody has ever seen God, the only God. Much less is God. I didn't. And that's what the Jews believe. In fact, they still believe this to this very day. Nobody has ever seen God. So you imagine the disciples as they're processing all of this, or they're they're sitting there in the presence with Jesus, and yeah, they saw Jesus do miracles. They saw him do all these great things, but We've been taught from our very days of old that nobody's ever seen God. How can you tell me that I have seen him? To be honest, it's that very claim that God Jesus killed. The claim that he was God. The Greeks claimed that God was invisible, that nobody could see God. But Jesus asserted that if anyone knew him and they saw him, That person had known God and had seen God. I mean, Jesus said, right? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I mean, how else would we use that, that, that same language? You know, I think my father and I are pretty close. If he was here tonight, other than he's getting a little grayer and probably a little shorter as time goes on, I'm catching up to him. But, uh, you can look and say, wow, y'all are related. Might even say, we see all the same features and, uh, you know, probably some of the same mannerisms for the good and the bad. Um, but I would never say that, well, hey, I- I'm in him and he's in me. I mean, sure, we have shared the same blood and, and maybe some, you know, similar DNA and, and, and those features, but, but I am not my father and my father is not me. In these verses, here we see the two persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. And and they're two distinct persons. And also in their roles. But they have the same power. They're equal in power. See, God, as the Father, He 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 reigns with, with providential care over everything, over the, the universe, over the creatures, right? The and every part of human history is under his hand. You know, he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, all-loving, and he is all-wise. So God the Father, is the Father in truth to those who become the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all men. But then we see see God the Son. God the Son is perfectly revealed and did the will of God the Father. What did He do? He took upon Himself a a human nature. All of the same necessities and identify Himself completely with with mankind. He ate. He cried. oh, He went to the bathroom. But everything He did was without sin see he honored the law through his obedience and he, in his substitutionary death on the cross he god the son made provision for the redemption of us from sin see jesus was raised from the dead with with a glorified body as the bible testifies to the 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 the, the, the witnesses said so they saw jesus and they looked but he looked different because he was glorified and he appeared to the disciples and he ascended into heaven and he is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is Jesus is the one mediator right the intermediate in between us and God that's why we don't have to go through somebody else to pray to God We don't have to go through a priest, a high priest, to seek forgiveness for our sins. No, Jesus is the high priest. He is the mediator, but he's also fully God and fully man and whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. Now, what evidence do we have that Jesus, his words are true? I mean anybody can say something, but how do you back it up? Well, Philip and the disciples, they were called to believe in Jesus as well to believe in or to believe Jesus as well as to believe in, in him. So we see the two grounds of belief, or the, the, the grounds of belief are twofold. One is Jesus' declaration, what he said. But anybody can declare something, doesn't make it true but we also see the evidence of Jesus' power. So we see that this is a call here to recognize all of these miracles and the signs that point to Jesus, his deity. Look, to deny the Trinity is not because we don't have enough evidence. To deny the Trinity means that you choose to disbelieve because we have more than enough confidence to not just believe Jesus, but we can believe in him. So we see in these first 15 verses of John chapter 14, the two persons of the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son. Well, we continue on picking up in verse 15 of John. It says, if you love me, Jesus continuing says, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Oh, I shouldn't have circled the whole thing. You see, there we go. Any English people out there, we've got a capitalized letter on a normalized, non-capitalized word. What does that mean? It personifies it. We have another helper. We're going to find out who that helper is. To be with you forever, even the... Oh, there it is again. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because uh, neither sees him nor knows him. Oh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you and me and I in you. Oh, man, For whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me and he love who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him Now, Judas, is not as scary, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but... It is the Helper who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. Oh, in Jesus' name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit. What is it? Let me think of the Holy Spirit. You think of uh, you know like a, a ghost out there, like Casper, floating around, go walking, you know, floating in between walls and around. I mean, Jesus did that through the Spirit. We think of the the Spirit as a force, like in Star Wars. You can will things through mind and Jedi tricks to to work things together. Or a a spirit of angels. Or or maybe your, your conscience, your Jiminy Cricket. Well, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And Its purpose is to indwell in the followers of Jesus and its presence is the presence and the power of God in our lives. I can't tell you how, oh, how empowering that is to think that we have the power of God in you. I don't consider myself to be a strong person by any means. I'm not winning any powerlifting uh, contest and... uh, um about every day I feel uh, my own inability to uh, do the things that I would like to do. But, but I got power. I got that Holy Spirit power. But so do you. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand Jesus and to remember His teaching as He tells us here in verse 26. And he said, He will teach you what? All things and bring to your remembrance. Anybody struggle to remember things? Maybe we need to ah, rely a little more on the Spirit. Not just anything, but all of the things that I have said to you. The Spirit also bears witness to Jesus. In chapter fifteen, verse twenty six, but when the helper comes, boom, H, of whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who will proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's so why we say that the Spirit draws us to salvation, right? Because the Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. In John chapter 16, we see that, uh, that, 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 that the Spirit will convict us to convict the world of sin and the righteousness in God's judgment. It said concerning ju- righteousness, I, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. no. That's not what it says. Messed up on my slides again. No, it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. No, that is great. And you will see me no longer. Now, you see here on the Spirit. um, The Greek word for helper is this word, perikletos. And um, basically it means that we have an advocate or a counselor. uh, um, and, And it's used to to describe how the Holy Spirit works for us. Right? He works on our behalf as, a, as a, a lawyer would if you were on trial. He serves as your advocate. He's also your counselor. Now, uh, the, you know, the original kind of thrust of this word kind of means is working on somebody's behalf. Right? It's somebody that comes along someone else. So the counselor... The Holy Spirit picks up where Jesus left off in his ascension. Now, Jesus physically walked on the earth, right? He was 33 years old, right? He had a ministry of just three years. He was there for a very short time. But the counselor picks up. And so we see this another counselor is not just here for a few years, but he's with us Forever. And he will remain our advocate for eternity. Now, you know, we know we can see Jesus. We we celebrate him at Christmas, the baby, and at Easter, the man hanging on the cross. We know God as the creator. We can look and see the stars and everything. But the Spirit sometimes is difficult for us to personify. Because we don't really have a visual of him. You know, I, when I was in, in, in Rome last month and you're in the Sistine Chapel, just a magnificent piece of artwork. And you look and up in the middle of that ceiling and, and you see an image of God. Now, I don't think that's what God looks like, but at least that's what Michelangelo thought. And, and then you see Adam next to him and all of these images throughout Scripture. But the Holy Spirit, what? How is he a person? Well, the Holy Spirit is is the Spirit of God. He's fully divine. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired holy men to write the Scriptures. Through this illumination, it's the one that helps us to be able to read and to understand the Word of God. The Holy Spirit exalts Christ. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And He calls us to the Savior. And at the moment when we are saved theological term would be regenerated he baptizes every single believer into the body of Christ the holy spirit is what helps us to have a christian character it's the holy spirit is the one that comforts us when we're broken or sad it's the holy spirit that gives us spiritual gifts by which we serve God, we serve the church. And it's the Holy Spirit that seals, seals the believer until the day of final redemption. It's the one that secures us, that holds us and never lets us go. See, the Holy Spirit's presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God is gonna bring us into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers us and the church as we worship Him, as we share the gospel with others and as we serve the lord, and in closing, I want to speak just briefly on one aspect of of um, belief that would we would consider to be outside of Orthodox Christianity, in part just because we you know, they 're a sizable group and also just um, um, when there, you know, sometimes there is con- some confusion about. We're going to look at Mormonism and the Trinity. Uh, now, Mormons would say that they believe in the Father, they would believe in the Son, and they believe in the Holy Spirit. So, all right, why would we consider Mormons to be outside of Orthodox Christianity? Well, it's the way though that they view. You see how they their their doctrine denies the Trinity teaching that the Father, Son, and the spirit do not comprise just one God and we're going to look at some of the their, their mormon um statements from their their doctrine of faith in fact, according to Mormonism, the celestial mother um um or mormonism and a celestial mother here is what the the Father, son, and spirit are we'll see uh no not that yet. Um, that Jesus is a created being. He is the first spirit to be born to the Father. So yeah, here, Jesus is a celestial mother. Therefore, Jesus could not be the eternal God or part of an eternal trinity. We also see that Mormons teach that both the Father and Son are men. God is a man too. Um, And so they have bodies of flesh. Well, they can't both be God and, and, or be, be one if they're two separate people. They can't not be considered as one. So the Mormons also teach, though, that Jesus is, although he's God, he's one of many gods. Many, or I'm sorry, many sons of the God. And, uh, Jesus is specifically referred to in, um, in, in the Book of Mormon as a son of God. Now, the Bible also teaches that Jesus is the son of God. But Mormon doctrine also would consider that Lucifer, or the devil, is another son of God. Mormonism also teaches that there are a number of gods. And in fact, those gods continue to increase. And so, basically in Mormonism, any man on earth can one day become a god of another planet. You can populate it with children born to and from his eternal wife. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, any of those children can later become gods themselves. And so the book of of Mormonism teaches that there's not just one God, monotheism, as the Jews would believe. They don't believe in the triune God as Christians believe, but in fact, there are many, many, many gods. Honestly, it would be more like Hinduism than it would be be polytheism as opposed to, um, to what Orthodox Christianity believes. In fact, we have this specific quote here from Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism. He said, many men say there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God, and I say that is a strange God. All are crammed into one God according to sectarianism, the the Christian faith. It would make the biggest God in all the world. He would be a wonderfully big God. He would be a giant or a monster. That's why to deny the Trinity is to deny the Christian faith. Because... We know the Bible teaches there is one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but all equal and are one.